Welcome to the Faith to Change Your World broadcast with Brother Chidi Aiko. The Spirit of God does not always strive with men. What did I say? The Spirit of God does not always strive with men. So when God wants to use a man, he comes to you in a fashion that he expects you to understand. So somebody said grace beauty of nature. So God will reveal himself to you in a way that he knows you will understand. You know, I, I, I saw a clip, I watched an ancient or an old clip of Pastor Chris Yakulume where he was explaining something about the call of God and how it comes to some people. And he said, depends on your maturity. He said somebody had a vision where the person was with Jesus in the vision and you came to the person to get, I mean Jesus was moving around going to people to get them to do what he wants them to do. But when he saw the first person, he had to go to the first person, he hugged the first person, he kissed the first person and then he encouraged him and strengthened him. That's what he did to the first person. So they went, they continued going. Then Jesus saw the second person and what he just did to the second person was that he waved to the second person. Instead of the first person, what did he do? He walked the first person and kissed him and did it. For the second person, he waved only. And then the second person knew that everything was fine and he knew that God was happy with him. Or that he, and he knew what next to do because the wave, in the wave, God had instructions in it. Then, as he kept going, in, the thought, in this vision, in the third time when Jesus met another person, now, he kissed the first person and hugged the first person, right? The second person, he just waved. Then the third person, what did he do? Instead of waving, just took that third person and nodded his head. Just nodding his head. And then he left. And then the individual, the person who was working with Jesus had to ask Jesus in the vision. Why did you greet all of them differently? Why did you have to greet all of them differently? Why not give all of them the same hug and, and peg like you gave the first person? It's looking like you are partial, you like the first person more than everybody. And Jesus said, no, I don't like the first person more than everybody. What is the problem? The problem is that, you see that first person is still a child. And the only way he can really understand that I love him or that this is what I want him to do so that I can, I can come close to him and hug him and make him know that I am with him. That is, that is his level. And so God will come to you the way he knows you understand. So to, to that person, that's how he had to come. In a way that he knows that the person would understand. Right? Then the second person. Jesus said that the second person was a bit mature. So when I waved at him, he knew everything was okay and he continued doing what he was doing. That was the second person. But if I had waited for the first person, he would not have understood. He would still have been bothered. So I had to go to him and then hold him and kiss him. But the second person, I just had to wave and then he knew all was fine. But you see the third person, Jesus said in that vision. That you see, the third person is the most mature of them all. And what did the third person do? He said, the third person, I just nodded. He was very mature. So as I nodded on him, as I nodded at him, he knew everything was fine and he kept on going. So those are the people that, were, that are in the level of faith. That are working with God in a particular realm where Jesus wants all believers to be. Because the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that while he has given us these five fingers, the pastors, the priests, and the pastors, the prophets, the evangelists, the apostles, and the teachers is for the perfection 
of the saints. And Jesus wanted saints to be perfected. So, when he wants to now start working with somebody, he comes to you in a fashion that you can understand. And the first thing he begins to do is that he begins to make you act like his spirit. He begins to make you act in accordance with his spirit. That's what Jesus does. That's what the spirit of God does. So if you, are, if you are such a man, then you begin to notice that you are losing interest. You begin to lose interest in some things that you normally do. You begin to lose interest in yourself. You, are no, you no longer care about yourself. But everything that you care about are the things that you know will please the Lord. So your drive becomes um, something that comes from inside. You are not moved from the outside in any longer. You are moved from the inside out. You see, somebody who is in the flesh, or somebody who is not um, a strong Christian yet, or who does not live a life of faith, would be always ruled from the outside in. What does it mean to be ruled from the outside in? It means that what you see, what you experience, what you, um, what happens around you, can alter the way you feel inside, or alter your happiness, alter your spiritual resolution, alter whatever you see. And that's not how God wants Christians to live. He does not want believers to live that way. He wants believers to, to live from the inside out. And what does that mean? That no matter what you see, feel, smell, or anything that happens around you, doesn't move you a bit. What moves you only is the inward witness of the Spirit of God in you. What moves you is the word and the dictates of the spirit that you know you carry in your womb. These are the things that move you. So you are living from the inside out, not from the outside in. But there are many Christians who live from the outside in instead of living from the inside out. But God's will for his church and for his children is to live from the inside out. So he begins to build such a person so that the person can be in accordance with the spirit and that person begins to lose um, interest for self begins to um, disconnect from the things that are normally appealing to him before then he begins to get connected to the spirit of god and that's when you now get to a level where you are ruled by the holy spirit entirely ruled by the holy spirit and so you know that at this level the things that i see no longer moving, and that's where God wants the church to get to. It went where you live from the inside out. Now, this was why Jesus said in Matthew 6 in Matthew 16 24 that if anyone wants to be my disciple, Matthew 16 24, Jesus said something striking there. He said, If anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself and follow me. Deny yourself. And follow me. And that's not saying you should kill yourself, but it's saying that you should not be moved by the things that will normally carry you. Those are the things that you, are, you see, feel, smell, because we are programmed to, to live physically. When the flesh is programmed to, to be ruled by what it sees, smells, the five sense organs, right? So you have what you see, smell, feel, and then, but that's not how you should live or walk with God. You are supposed to be walking with God by faith. And so, in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said that if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself and follow me. And if you read that like that, you will not understand. But if you read it from the Amplified Version, it says that you lose sight and forget yourself and your own interest. You lose sight, you forget yourself and you forget your own interest and you begin to work with God. And that's what God wants Christians to do. 
Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us that he dies daily. These things are not mere deceptions when he says he dies daily. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say that I try to subdue my flesh every day. I try to make sure that I know it's no longer any of me. It is more of who? Of God and less of me. So that's why he says he dies daily. So every day, self dies. Every day, self dies. And then he begins to... So these things are indicators of the fact that the believer must crucify his flesh if he must walk with God. Write that down. A believer must continuously crucify his flesh if he must walk with God. And how do you do that? By the renewing of your mind. And how do you renew your mind through the word of God? Renew your mind through the word of God. So you continue to renew your mind and renew your mind. And that's how uh, you begin to get into the kind of position in character and in spirit that God wants you to actually get to. And this is how faith works. Faith works maximally in the lives of men that are dead. Faith works maximally in the life in the lives of men that are dead. The lives of men who die daily, like Apostle Paul said. And this is why it has nothing to do with what you see, smell, feel, touch, taste, or anything that you can perceive with your natural senses. What did Hebrews 11.1 say? Hebrews 11.1 said that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Underline sin in your Bible. Now when you see the word sin, if you read it like that, you'll be you'll be um, you will not understand. Now when the Bible says the evidence of things not seen, it's not talking about sight only. I mean with what you see in your eyes. That's not what it's talking about. The real rendering or the real translation there should be the evidence of things that are not perceived by your senses. Because if it says that the evidence of things not seen, then it means that it can be the evidence of things that you smell or touch. So faith is sometimes of things awful and the evidence of things not seen. So it's not just talking about things that you don't see only, it's talking about things that you don't smell, things that you don't um, touch that you cannot touch things that you cannot perceive with any of your natural sense so the right point to do the right paraphrase there should be faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not perceived by your senses do you understand that the evidence of things not perceived by your senses if you look if you read that like that and you want to run with that then you then you are trying to say that faith is substance of things hope for the evidence of things not seen but it is the, uh, but it's the evidence of things that or it, can, it cannot be the evidence of things that that, that, that are seen or that that has then you can now look at those that you, you you can smell feel touch and so is that what faith is? No, that's not what faith is. Faith is the substance of things that you cannot even touch. If you can touch it, then it is no longer faith. If you can smell it, then it is no longer faith. But if you cannot smell it, that is the evidence. Faith is the evidence. If you cannot see it, if you cannot touch it, if you cannot taste it, faith is that evidence. 
So faith is the evidence of things not perceived by your senses. That's what the Bible means in Hebrews 11.1. 1. So when you see the Bible talking about sin in that place, it was talking about the things that we cannot see um, with our um, senses, I mean, things that we cannot see with our eyes, that we cannot smell, um, things that um, that includes every part of our sense organs. So that will include what we feel, what we smell, what we taste, what we can touch, and so on. But as long as it has something to do with your physical inclinations, then that is faith. Faith is physical blindness. Write that down. Faith is physical blindness. That is when your spiritual eye will open. When you live a life of faith, you'll be physically blind, but your spiritual eye will open. And that's what the Bible or that's what the Bible describes, or what we call the eyes of faith or the eyes of the spirit. Your physical eyes get shut. When Elisha was surrounded by the soldiers and his servant said, Sir, we were almost dead. They are surrounded us and then he said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the eyes of the lad was open, and he saw. What, what eye was he? What eye was the Bible talking about there? But not his physical eyes, because his physical eyes was open, and that was what made him want to run, run, run away or even want to die. It was with his physical eyes that he saw the soldiers. But his spiritual eye was not open. The eyes of faith, the eyes of the spirit was not open, and he did not know that beyond what he seen physically, there is also another thing that can be seen spiritually that is even surrounding what he seen physically. And that was the eyes of faith. And that was the eyes of the spirit. And so Elisha had to pray and say, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the eyes, the Bible says, that the eyes of the lad was open. And he saw. Then Elisha now commanded that the Lord smile them with blindness. But the eyes of the young lad was open. So he saw with his eyes. Yet he did not see. And that was because he was seen only with his physical eyes. And as long as you continue to see with your physical eyes, you cannot live a life that pleases God. You cannot walk with God when you continue to see with your physical eyes. You need to see with your eyes of faith, with your eyes, with the eyes of the spirit. And that's how God works with men. So when you understand this, you will have a strong control over everything that is physical. When you know that everything that is physical is surrounded or overruled by what is not physical, then you know that what is physical is not making sense doesn't matter what is physical doesn't matter do you understand what i'm saying so what is physical doesn't matter as long as you know that the spiritual controls the physical so what is physical does not matter to you and at this stage nothing moves you and this is what a faith of a life of faith requires the life of faith requires that you live in a way that nothing from this way nothing of the physical Moving, you are only moved by the word of God or by the leadings of the Spirit. Nothing else moves you. Even what happens around you, what happens to you, what people do to you, what what people throw at you, what you see, whatever happens, does not move you. Only God and His Word moves you. Only God and His Word move you. So, faith requires supernatural disposition, what I call supernatural disposition. That's the title of our sermon today. 
supernatural disposition. Faith requires supernatural disposition. So, in your walk with God, you have to get to a place where you begin to possess and exude supernatural disposition. You begin to possess and you begin to show supernatural disposition in everything that concerns you. The word disposition appears in the um, in the KJV Bible. Yes, in the KJV Bible, I think it appears only once, and that should be in Acts chapter seven, verse fifty-three. But that's um, the range or the meaning of the word disposition. There is really different from what I want to talk about now. So the word disposition uh, we're talking about here is um, the control over something. The way we react to situations. That's what disposition means. The way we react to situations. The word disposition means the way we react to situations. The dictionary explains disposition to mean the way in which something or someone is disposed of or dealt with. The way we react to situations and exude control over them. That's what disposition means. Many years ago, I was listening to a tape by Shabu Yudipo and it was a faith tape and I was listening to it and he said something there that struck me. He said somebody asked him many years ago and said, Brother David, what are the challenges you face in life and in your life and in your church? And he said, challenges? Challenges? Maybe they came and they didn't know. What? And I was like, is this man okay? Why would he say challenges? Challenges are part of everyday life. But he said to me, he said, maybe they came and they didn't know. Why didn't he know that challenges came? Because he was no longer ruled by the physical. He was no longer ruled by what he can smell, what he can feel, what he can touch. He was no longer ruled by anything that happens in the physical around him. He was only ruled by the things of God and by the things that happen in the spirit. And I said that the believer is supposed to live from the inside out and not from the outside. So at that stage, for Bishop David to be able to respond at that stage many years ago, that challenges, maybe he came, I didn't know. He was responding like that because already he was built up in his faith and he knew how to live from the spirit outside instead of living from the outside into the spirit. So he lived from the inside out. God wants you to live every day of your life from the inside out. So, there should be nothing that you see on the physical that should move you. Nothing. Nothing you see on the physical should define you. Nothing. Not, in fact, nothing that you see on the physical that can move you or that can define you. Nothing. There is nothing. The man who walks with God is focused on doing the things that he conceives in his spirit to be the way that God wants him to go. And so, every other thing that happens around him, I'm not supposed to define what his life is about. So your life is about the spiritual instead of the physical. And that's how somebody can be very wealthy in his spirit. But at the moment, 
is poor and living a very poor life. But that person is not going to end there. It's going to end somewhere else. It's going to end to be a very wealthy person. Why? Because in his spirit, which is where life really comes from, he has built up a wealth inside of him. So we are only moved or affected by the things that are not of this realm. We are only moved or affected by the things that are of the realm of God. And this is the attitude that we need to have to live a life of faith successfully. That's the attitude we need to have to live a life of faith successfully. The attitude of supernatural disposition. Supernatural disposition. Supernatural disposition. That attitude of supernatural disposition. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel showed us how. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Verse 10. Agreed. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing, now before before I begin to read that, we all know the story of Daniel and how that some members of the council had to convince the king or deceive the king into signing a law that says nobody should pray. And if anybody was called praying in the name that is all that is different from the name of the king. Then there's going to be a problem. So that was something that happened, and instead of Daniel to fear, he didn't fear, but instead he went he went ahead. And the Bible says in verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew of the writing that was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he knelt down. He knelt down upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did a fourth time, meaning that's what he normally did before now. So he continued to do what he was supposed to do. And then the Bible says that, and these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplications before his God. And what did they do? They went to tell the king. And the king tried as much as possible to be able to help Daniel. But was he able to help Daniel? No. But what happened? What was the decree? That whoever prays in the name of the another God will be thrown into what? Into the lion's den. And the king had to, he signed it. So they had to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And that's basically what happened. So let's go to verse, uh, because of time, let's go to verse um, 18. So the Bible says in verse 18 that then the king, Daniel was already thrown into the lion den at this time. And the Bible says that then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither there 
neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then in the morning the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den, uh, unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den of lions, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel, and the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God whom you servest continually able to deliver you from the lions? Now, this was the same king that, although it was not his fault, but he had thrown Daniel into the lions then because he had signed the decree of trusting. Not knowing that those people were trying to deceive him, but he signed the decree and then Daniel was thrown into the lions then. And so Daniel was supposed to sulk. What does it mean to sulk? He was supposed to pout. He was supposed to be angry. That, how can, how, can, how can this king still make me suffer like this? He was thrown into the lounge there. And an average person would have been angry, right? But now the king comes in the morning and says, Daniel, is your God who you serve able to deliver you from the mouth of the lounge? And this is what Daniel said. Daniel said, verse 21, unto the king, O king, live forever. <laughs> now, notice what Daniel didn't do. He didn't curse the king and he didn't bad mouth him. He didn't say, the king, you are ignorant because you are my friend. You are, you are a foolish man. How can you believe them more than me? Did he say that? No. Why? Because he possessed supernatural disposition. So when the king came to say, Daniel, is your God able to deliver you? He said, oh yes, oh king, live forever. My God is able to deliver me. Nothing. He didn't, he didn't come out with a vengeful spirit and wanting to revenge. You are not supposed... Vengeance is supposed to be of God. The idea of revenge is from the pit of hell. Revenge is of the devil. Daniel came out from the lion's den and was not careful about whether or not the people who cast him there were thrown into the lion's den. He was not particular about it. It was the king that made sure that that happened. But Daniel was no longer particular about that because he had the, the quality that was keeping him in a realm that was above this natural thing. So nothing that he saw in his physical life or in his physical world around him moved him. So when he came out, the king, uh, when he was there, the king called, Daniel, is your God able to divide you? I said, oh yes, oh king, live forever. And then they continued to talk to the king. He didn't cause the king and he didn't badmouth him. Believers need to learn to exude supernatural disposition every time. No matter what happens, no matter the offense. The Bible, Jesus said, in, Jesus said that it is impossible. That offense will not come. So offense will come. But, but blessed is that man who is not offended. But woe to that man through whom the offense comes. Now you will be people will make you angry. Offense will come. But don't be after revenge. Let the spirit control you. Exude supernatural disposition over the issues. The Bible says that in as much as it is within your power, live in peace or be at peace with all men. Be at peace. So, Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what about them? They were not just thrown into the line, uh, into the fiery furnace. Let me tell you what happened before they were thrown. How hot will a fire 
have to be to burn. I mean, a match fire can burn as well, right? So, what was the idea of the devil persuading Nebuchadnezzar or convincing Nebuchadnezzar to cause the people to increase the fire seven times? That, that was even a more fiery furnace. They increased it. And then he commanded his army to bound Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego and threw them into the fiery furnace. And when they got there, they were not burnt. And the king brought them out. When he brought them out, did they, did they, did they, did they, did they, were they angry? Did they act like they were angry? Did they talk evil about the king? Did they go about pouting, crying, and talking evil about people? No! Whatever happens, leave the revenge or leave the vengeance to God. The Bible says that vengeance is of the Lord. So leave the vengeance and God will surely carry out the vengeance. But it is not in your place to go for revenge. If you are going to live a life of faith with God, you must be a person that is given to supernatural disposition. So no, no matter what happens around you, you are not moved. You only seek to please the one who has called you. David. The Bible tells us that there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, right? So we know that Saul was looking for David to kill him. He, I mean, the king even had to leave his palace. On many occasions, he would leave his palace and start traveling with more soldiers, up to 3,000 soldiers, looking for David to kill him. What has the young man done? Looking for David to kill him, I must kill David today. I must, if I see him, I will kill him. Where is David? Looking for David to kill. Saul was looking for David to kill. Very, very annoying. Looking for David to kill. But then what happened? David got the opportunity to kill Saul. When Saul came and decided to rest inside the cave, and they all fell asleep. And David and the soldiers came into the cave and saw Saul asleep. What would you have done if you were David in that place? This is the man that wants to kill you. And you have an opportunity to kill the man. What would you have done? Many people would have killed him. Many people would have please remove his eye so that he can uh, he cannot see again when he wakes up. Many people would have done something that was out of the flesh. Or still, not just many people, even David's soldiers were thanking God. They just started thanking God. Ah, thank God. You. See, they were talking to David, sir. Today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. It is time to finish this man. You finish him today. His soldiers were telling him that. You finish him. Ah, he has been looking for us to kill us. Now, God has delivered him to our hands. We will kill him and finish him. But what did David do instead? Did he kill Saul? No, because he had supernatural disposition. He possessed and exuded supernatural disposition in that, in that, at that point. So instead of killing Saul, what did he do? He had to just cut a part of his skirt. And then what happened? Let's go to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. He cut a part of Saul's skirt. And this was the same Saul that wanted to kill him. And if Saul had gotten the same opportunity that David had gotten, Saul would have killed David. And Saul was supposed to be his master. And I imagine how David would have felt 
on everything that I did for this man, upon all the service that I saved him. This man is still treating me like this. May God be the judge. That was where he stopped it. May God be the judge. But for me to kill this man, or for me to carry out an angry revenge against him, may God forbid I will never do that. 1 Samuel 24 verse 1. Let's read. And it came to pass, when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the world of the wild goats. And he came to the sh um, sheep coats by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men said unto him, Behold, Oga, behold, the day of which the Lord. Behold, the day, the day of which the Lord has said unto thee, I will deliver. That's they are telling him, Sir, behold, the, the Lord has told you already that I will deliver your, my, your enemy into your hands. That this, this is that day. This is that day. That man we will not just kill him, we will remove his eyes, we will remove his nose, we will kill him and throw everything away. And that's what the soldiers are saying. But what did he say? And they said, he said, they said, Behold, I will deliver thy enemy to thy hand. That's what they were telling him. That thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto you. So David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately instead of killing him at that point. And it came to pass afterwards that even when he cut the skirt, his heart smote him. After some point, he was like, Ah, I shouldn't have even cut this man's skirt. Ah, he was feeling bad. That was a man that is ruled by the spirit. That's why the, and that's why, that's why the law. Or God specifically defines David in the Old Testament as a man after my own heart. The heart of David was a heart that was attuned to supernatural disposition. And he acted the way Jesus wanted him to act. Or he acted the way Jesus would act if Jesus was on earth. And that's like, the Lord was like David because the man is just behaving. He lived in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the law of David says, I mean the law of Moses says that an eye for an eye. But David did not believe in that principle. He believes in the fact that God is the judge. And so what did he do? He decided that I'm going to just cut the aim of his skirt instead of killing him. But even after doing that, he was feeling bad. So verse 6 says, And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hands against him, saying he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words, and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. So David had told his servants, and the servants were ready, they were ready to fight. They were ready to use the opportunity to kill Saul and all his men since they have been looking for them to kill them. And because of Saul, David cannot have a good life. Because of Saul, David was running from one place to another, even living in a cave. He was living in a cave. He didn't have a good life because of Saul. He didn't have a good life. Having to move from one place to the other because of Saul. But then what did he do? 
instead of using the opportunity to eliminate Saul and eliminate everything that would disturb him in his life, he decided to let God through his heart. And then the Bible says that David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. Don't touch him. Don't touch his boys. Don't kill them. Don't do anything to them. Just leave him. And like I imagine his soldiers were angry, his boys were angry. Like, ah, ah, how can you say we should not do anything? But that is a man that is ruled of God. Supernatural disposition. This kind of disposition does not come from the earth. And that is why I describe it as supernatural. It, it is beyond the natural realm. For David to have done that, that was beyond the natural realm. For Abraham to have told Lot, your soldiers are fighting with my soldiers. And I want the one, the one that brought you up. Okay, look there. Choose one place. That was supernatural disposition. For Abraham to see, go after the people that captured his brother with 300 men. That was supernatural disposition. Verse 8. And David arose afterward. When Saul stood up and left, David arose afterward and said unto him, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped his face on the earth and bowed himself to Saul. And said unto Saul, Wherefore hearest thou these words of this man, saying that behold, David seeketh thy heart? Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee into my hand in the cave, and some begged me to kill you. He was telling Saul that, See, today God has. The Lord delivered you into my hands. And some people said I should kill you. But I chose not to kill you. He said, And some bade me to kill you. Or so some bade me to kill thee. And my eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, he was telling Saul, Calls him father. He said, Moreover, my father, see, this is from your skirt. I cut it from you so that you will know that I came close to you and I could have killed you. But this is what I cut from your body. And I chose not to kill you. How do you think Saul will react when he heard that? Saul would imagine himself to be a very foolish person. I've been pushing this boy for a very long time and I wanted to kill him. And then he got an opportunity to kill me and he didn't kill me. And that made him out of shame, he went back home. Or out of repentance, whatever it be. Or he knew that this man was way greater than I am because he had supernatural disposition. And faith requires supernatural disposition. There are two things that I know that faith requires strongly. One of these is I'll speak on the other part. But faith requires supernatural disposition. Your faith requires supernatural discipline. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. For in, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe, I killed thee not. That is actually, I, now I cut off your skirt, but I did not kill you. So you know that, you know and see that there is nothing evil, not any translation in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, yet you untest my soul to take it. And I said something in verse 12 that I want you to remember. The Lord judge between me and you, and the Lord avenge me of you, but I will but my hand will not be upon you. It also. And then let God be the judge, and that's where God wants you to stop. 
in your pursuit for justice. Just stop there. If somebody has angered you or somebody is maltreating you or somebody is treating you in a way that is not good, leave that person to God. Let God be the judge. You have done lots of service, you've done something for somebody and then you are treated like you did nothing. Leave the judgment to God. Let God be the judge. But there should be no point or there should be, yes, there should be no point when you get angry and decide to revenge or decide to do things that are not of God. God wants us to exude supernatural disposition at every point in time. You are not moved. This kind of attitude is not possessed or not cannot be done if you are in your physical senses. It has to be done from the spirit. And that's why the Lord wants us to live from the inside out. It is only the man that lives from the inside out that is able to exude supernatural disposition. What about Joseph? We know the story of Joseph. Joseph was in the prison, right? He went to the prison because of Potiphar's wife. How many of you would have been in the prison and still be cheerful? Knowing fully well that you did not go to the prison because you did something bad. You went to the prison because somebody was against you. But he went to the prison and even became head boy in the prison. Yeah, he became head boy in the prison and he was very happy. How would you, for you to know he was not moved or he, he had control over his emotions and he was having possessing supernatural disposition, how would he know that somebody else was not happy in prison? You need to be happy or you need to be balanced in your own emotions to be able to know that somebody else is not emotionally balanced. So, he was placed to be in charge of the butler and the baker that came from Pharaoh. He was like the head of the prison. They made him like the leader there because of the fact that he was continually exuding or he was continually showing some leadership qualities that were necessary. The things that he did in Potiphar's house, he came to the prison and continued to do them. Not minding that he did not sit down and say, that no good wife of Potiphar. That Mrs. No Good, may God punish her anywhere she is. Did he say that? No. Did he have time spending his time or did he waste time talking about how bad Mrs. Potiphar treated me? Uh, and he's going from one place to another. Anybody sees in the prison, is that telling them, do you know my story? Do you know how bad Mrs. Potiphar treated me? Do you know how wicked Mrs. Potiphar and his master are? I did all my best with them. Did he go about telling the stories? No, you don't need it. So instead, he continued his life. So just live like nothing happened. That's what Joseph did. He went into the prison and continued to live life like nothing happened. If he was in prison and pouting, if he was sulking in prison, if he was pouting, if he was not living the kind of life God wanted him to live in prison, there was no way he would have come out from prison. It was in the prison that he sharpened his interpretation, the gift of interpretation that God gave, gave to him. It was in the prison that he sharpened that gift. In the prison. So he continued to live life like nothing happened. So no matter what happens to you, no matter how somebody treats you, you don't go back and say, <laughs> the way they treated me. Treated who? Who cares about the way they treat you? Just keep moving. Just keep living life like nothing happened. That's how God wants you to live. So Joseph continued to live life and what happened? He from prison, he went to the palace. I'm not surprised. Because he didn't allow the past hold him back. Many of you will allow the past hold you back. So you just keep moving. 
Ah, this is my colleague in the office is only looking for my trouble. You don't have that time. This is my classmate is always wicked, is always finding my trouble. Don't have that time. Supernatural what? Disposition. What does that mean? That you continue to act the way God wants you to act. You live from the inside out. You are not moved by what somebody does to you or by what you see around you or by anything that happens around you. You are not moved. So even Joseph had that quality and developed that. So when God wants to start working with somebody, he begins to help you develop and possess that quality of supernatural disposition because you cannot be a person that works with God and you are now pursuing vengeance up and down. No, you cannot be that kind of person. What about Jesus? What did Jesus do? If you study the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said something that whoever shall smite you on your right cheek, turn the other left also. Do you know what that means? You are here like this, and somebody comes and slaps you. Jesus did not say, slap your own back. That's a tooth for a tooth, or an eye for an eye. And that was what the law of Moses preached. And Jesus, Jesus said, no. If somebody comes and slaps you, do what? Turn the other side. What was he trying to teach the church? He was trying to teach the body of Christ that it is necessary that you have or possess supernatural disposition. He said if they want your he said if they want your clothes, give them everything. If you read from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, 40 and 41, you will understand that he said all these things, if they want anything, just give them. If they slap you, turn the other side and let them slap you again. Now he, he was trying to say that it is necessary for you to have or exude a supernatural kind of control over any kind of situation that happens to you. No matter how people react or treat you, just keep moving, smile, and just keep moving. So you just stay quiet. No matter what happens, you smile, you just keep moving, you act like nothing happened, and you keep moving. That's how life, that's how God wants you to live as a, as a believer in way of supernatural disposition. So when he said that, he was teaching us how to react to situations. That's what Jesus was teaching us. He slap you. Some of you will say, ah, slap me and I have to slap till he save. I will slap you till he back. No, that's not what God wants you to do. But people in the people in the in the realm of the senses, and surprisingly, even some ministers and even their wives would want to teach you revenge. I want to teach you to fight or to do what you're not supposed to do. But that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to live a life that pleases Him. And for you to live a life that pleases God, you need to live a life of faith. And for you to live a life of faith. You need to live a life that is not moved by anything that you can perceive by your natural senses. And that includes the slam that they gave you. And that includes the backbiting or the gossip that people do about you. That includes the, the persecutions. He said, whoever follows me or whoever shall be my disciple, you have to lose yourself. But then Jesus also said that you will have many things. You have lands, you have children, you have everything. And persecution. 
He said, you have persecution. Why? You have all this and then you just keep moving on. I hear stories of people writing about people, talking about people, gossiping about people. Or... So I, I, in my work with God, and personally, I, I am, I, I'm an, I'm an activist before becoming called by God. I used to be an activist and I had these special cravings for justice and for human rights and for advocacy. And it was so strong in me. But when things started happening to me and where I should have reacted, they don't tell me, no, let it slide. Let it what? I get angry, like, let it what? Let it slide. But God was trying to teach me to be like Him. And gradually, I am moving in that way now that no matter what somebody does to me, just look at the person and go away. I'm in the office and people are telling me, ah, no, Mr. Prince, don't allow that, go. You should fight for it, fight for your right. I said, fight? Me? I, I, I don't do that. Again, the blessing that is upon your life does not require toil. If you have to struggle for anything, you have to fight for anything, you have to quarrel or strive to get something, then you are getting outside the blessing of God. The Bible says that the blessing of God brings you wealth without painful toil for it. So you don't have to even toil for anything. So, when I realized that, the Lord started teaching me that, and gradually decided, but it, it, it took long before I eventually realized that. Because somebody would talk about me and I will talk back. But now, here's things about me and I just laugh. Now, move on. Supernatural disposition. When Jesus told us, if they slap you, turn your right What about him? Did he do like that? Yes. He lived it on him. He lived, he lived it on him. He, he, he showed us how to live a life of supernatural disposition, with supernatural disposition. On the cross, people, people had nailed him. And they had nailed him on the cross. What prayer did he make for them? Father, forgive them. You know, if it was you, what would you pray for those people that are, that, are, that are killing you? Ah! It will not be better for you. Your children, 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 children. Did Jesus say that? No. Stephen, when he was being stoned, what did he pray? What was part of his last prayer? Lord, forgive them. Supernatural disposition. Jesus on the cross. Pray that prayer as well. Supernatural disposition. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They know. They know what they were doing. But from the spiritual standpoint, they were acting under the influence of the devil. But physically, they knew what that they were persecuting Jesus. But Jesus was speaking from the spiritual standpoint. They were being ruled by the devil. And it was necessary that they did this so that they, so that me and you can be saved and practice faith today. But Jesus had to pray for them. He had to pray for them. So, in life, as you keep progressing, be a person that exudes supernatural disposition. This message should be played every time you you are angered. You play this message, and then you just put your earpiece on, and you begin to listen to it because God says offense shall come, and He says woe 
to the man through which the offense comes. That's not you who is causing the person. God may harm to the person. Your own is not to speak out of anger, not to react out of anger, not to cause out of anger, or not to revenge or take actions into your own hands. Your own is to stay in peace and to exude supernatural disposition. Blessed is the man who is not offended. That's what he told John the Baptist. Jesus said, Please go and tell him that blessed is the man who is not offended. So you shall, people will make you angry left, right, and center. Please cover your ears with message and begin to worship God. Father, I will not be angry. I exude supernatural disposition over this issue. It is not natural. Because it is natural, your natural disposition will say, Oh, Benny, bring your head back! But supernatural, because it is not of this realm, it is of the realm of the kingdom of God. And then he does. I was in the place where everything that I did was evil spoken of. Everything that I did, that I knew that I did with my whole life and strength was evil spoken of. But I just smiled. I didn't say anything, I smiled. I just kept quiet. The Lord was teaching me, the Lord was teaching me. The Lord was teaching me because me normally would react. But the Lord was teaching me to keep quiet. Before then, the Lord had told me to speak in tongues and speak in tongues and speak in tongues and speak in tongues and I was wondering why was this bad pang of tongues coming out for God was building supernatural disposition, the stamina for supernatural disposition and nothing happened just started smiling just started smiling but the funny thing was that after that incident the moment I left I was not even home on my way home I started crying why was I crying? Remembering everything that I did. And I started crying and saying, God, I did all of these things. And I did them from the bottom of my heart. And I'm hearing all this that I did not do anything that I was this and I was that and I was this and I was that and I'm like, God, you be the judge. But I know from the bottom of my heart that I did my best. I cried. I cried. Oh, God. And the Lord was teaching me supernatural disposition because He wants me to teach you supernatural disposition. And that's what is missing in the body of Christ. The people, believers need to be taught to exceed supernatural disposition. So nothing moves me. Nothing. And since that time, nothing has moved me. Anything I think that I've heard, I don't get, I don't get, I don't move, I'm not moved again. Because I, I die daily. I die daily. But when I got home on that day, I cried and cried and cried, and the way I was crying, I was wondering. And the cry was just coming out. <laughs> and I was wondering that why am I crying when I should even defend myself? But it was brought before the slaughter. 
And the Bible says that he opened not his mouth. Supernatural disposition. He was brought before the slaughter. And people expect him to talk. But the Bible says that he opened not his mouth. People want to kill you and you are not looking at them. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Somebody may ask, Father or Pastor, what happens when I do all these things and because I'm not reacting, people continue to take me for granted and it can even lead to my death. This is what Jesus told, tells us in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke chapter 21, I read from verse I read from verse. And it shall turn to you for a testimony that verse 14. Certainly, therefore, in your heart, not to meditate before you shall before what you shall answer. The Lord says in verse 15 that I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gain save and resist. So the Lord is saying that no matter what happens around you, I'm going to give you that wisdom. I'm going to give you that mouth that when you speak, people will not be able to disagree or resist. And he said in verse 16, you shall be betrayed both by parents and by brethren and by king's folk and friends and some of you shall they cause to be put to death and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake but he says something in verse 18 which is what i discovered and i stayed here no matter what happens i don't move and the funny thing is that i have not seen anybody who tries to oppress me that comes out victorious even in other aspects of life. I've not seen anybody who is wanting to antagonize me when I am innocent and you don't do anything. But this is what the Lord said in verse 18. But there shall not be an heir of your head perish. Nothing will happen to you. That's what the Lord said. And in verse 19 he said, in your patience possess ye your soul in your patience possess ye your soul in your patience possess ye your soul that's what Jesus said let's look at it from the book of from the amplified translation I'll read from verse 16 it says you will be delivered up and betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will even put to death and you will be hated despised by everyone because you bear my name and from for its sake and because you work for me or because of some other reasons why god might have selected you now but he said something about it he said but not a hair of your head shall perish not the air of your head shall perish. And he said, By your steadfast, 
by your steadfastness and patient endurance, you shall win the true life of your soul. By your steadfastness and patient endurance. But why should you even be more patient and endure? Because you knew or you know that in verse 18, he has promised you that not even one hair of your head will perish. That means no matter what they do, they can never harm you. No matter what they do, they can never... That's if they let them talk one thousand things against you, nothing will happen negatively to you. Why? Because Jesus has promised you that. But what does he want you to do for this promise to work? Maintain supernatural disposition. Just keep quiet and don't go after vengeance. Don't go after and uh, don't go after revenge, brother. Ask for his vengeance, but don't go after revenge. Don't take laws into your hands. And say, God, just be the judge. And that's how you invite him to become the judge and, the, and attract divine vengeance into the issue. But don't go after revenge. Don't use the law, most, the law of Moses that a tooth for uh, a tooth for a tooth or an eye for an eye. That's devilish. But they needed to use that in the old in the old testament in the old dispensation. Why? Because the people were stiff-necked and they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. So they, there was no way the Holy Spirit could reside in them. Now imagine, remember that when I was starting this, I said that the first thing God does when he wants to work with a man is to make you begin to pattern your life to live in accordance with the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit was not seen in the old dispensation. So they did not know how to work with God. So that eye for an eye was necessary because otherwise somebody will remove somebody's eye. And when you say, don't pursue the person, and when he says don't pursue the person, then it means that the person will continue to do it every time. He says, they did not pursue me. You go somebody else, they did not pursue me. You go somebody else, they did not pursue me. Do you understand that? So that an eye for was necessary at that point. If you look at this from the TLB version, let me see if I can get in the TLB, in the message version rather. The message version. Now, it says in verse 16, it says you will even be turned in by your parents, your brothers, your relatives and friends. Some of you will be killed. There is no telling who will hate you because of me. Even so, every detail of your body and soul, even the airs of your head, is in my care. That's what Jesus is saying. Even the airs of your head is in my care. And he said something there. Nothing of you will be lost. Staying with it. That is all what is required. That's what is required. God is saying, stay with what I'm telling you. Nothing of you will be lost. So what did I require you to do? Stay in supernatural disposition. Stay the way I want you to stay. Don't go for vengeance. People who come against you and turn evil against you, just be looking at them. Nothing. So they said, nothing of you will be lost. Staying with it is all you. what is required. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry. You will be saved. So no matter what happens, just believe that you have a God who is a just God. It is because people don't have confidence in the justice system of God that they want to take justice into their own hands. In fact, there is no way that your, your own justice will even be more severe than that of God. So just leave God to do his work and then believe that God will avenge you speedily. But then what you need to do is to ensure that you do not go after revenge. You do not begin to live from the outside. You do not allow things that happen around you to be dictate the way you react 
or your behavior or influence the happiness or your joy in your spirit, nothing should move you. God wants us to exude supernatural disposition at every point in time. People will get you angry. They will get you angry but maintain supernatural disposition. They will say all manner of things against you falsely but maintain supernatural disposition. In your workplace, in the school, in the uh, company, in the bank, in, in, in the street, even in the commercial vehicle, in, in while you are driving, people will be making you angry. Just maintain supernatural disposition. Maintain supernatural disposition. God wants us to live from the inside out and not from the outside in. May the Lord bless us in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed. We upload new messages every week to keep you inspired and strengthened in faith. Call us today on 0909-632-5899. Don't forget to share and subscribe to our channel. God bless you.